from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hello, and welcome to another installment of Rated LGBT Radio. I am your host, Rob Watson, and we have another fantastic program for you today. We um, are blessed with an incredibly gifted singer and songwriter who um, not only sings to the heart and sings to current issues and frustrations and the world we know it today, but she actually walks her talk. I mean, she is actually gives what she she talks about in her songs. Um, she has actually gained some notoriety for having, um, she lives in San Francisco, and one day apparently she opened her garage door, set up an outdoor concert, and serenaded the neighborhood at large who were all sheltering in place and um, just giving some joy and solace to a world that, is pretty confused and pretty scary right now. Um, and she is literally um, a breath of fresh air. And we have her on board. That is Rachel Garland. And we are going to talk about her brand new al- a- album, uh, Monda Greens. And we are going to play one of the songs from it, her cover of the song Boys of Summer. And we're going to talk about her, all of her other music as well. So super, super exciting stuff. Uh, Before we get to Rachel, I do want to bring on and introduce the renowned journalist, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome to the show today. Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon, day, morning uh, to our listeners. We thank you for listening to our podcast and for those of you that listen to us live. Um, COVID, of course, is... uh, First and foremost, uh, in the news across the board, including for the LGBTQI plus uh, community, uh, this week has been a little rough, uh, and especially in some jurisdictions uh, across uh, the United States. Uh, in Los Angeles, for example, 57% of the new LA cases of COVID-19 are people now under the age of 41. Uh, In addition to that, uh, Dr. Barbara Ferreira, the director of the L.A. County Department of Public Health, uh, put out a statement yesterday in a comparative way, COVID-19 will probably soon become the second leading cause of death after cardiovascular coronary heart disease uh, in Los Angeles County and the surrounding areas. Uh, As we move forward through this crisis, um, I need to note that the surge uh, in the virus has now got more Americans hospitalized than at any other point so far in this pandemic. In the past 24 hours, 81,000 new confirmed cases were reported. The U.S. now has officially more than 4 million coronavirus infections, one-fourth of which, according to the Centers for Disease Control, came in the last 15 days alone. This is telling us that the pandemic has no signs of slowing. One of the major issues, in addition to social distancing and the fights over masks and facial coverings, is 
the issue over testing capacity. That issue right now currently in the testing capacity, which is like far behind the needs of the health officials across the nation, Kaiser Health News reported that Quest, LabCorp, and the other private labs have struggled to expand quickly enough to meet the demand as states are expanding their testing in cases soar across the nation. Officials for Quest, which handles about roughly 130,000 tests daily, spread over 20 laboratories, said its ability has been limited by a global shortage of the machines, chemical reagents needed to perform COVID-19 testing. Earlier in the week, the company announced that the turnaround time had slowed to a week or more, and this was from three to four days in June. It also said uh, at some point that patients looking ahead um, could wait up to probably two weeks. Um, The Quest officials also told me when I spoke to them that they cautioned that the onset of the flu season in the fall will probably make it a lot worse. Um, I'm going to take that little bit of news and let that sink in for a minute. Uh, Looking at other COVID-related, especially for our listeners uh, who are parents, um, the Trump administration is still pushing hard uh, to get schools open. However, across the nation, more and more, especially large school districts, are throttling back and saying, no, we're going to probably have to stay with some form of distance uh, learning and some form of uh, classroom and maybe what's called a pod setting. And in some school districts are saying distance-only learning until there's a vaccine, that's it. Um, as a matter of fact, in our guests city, uh, a parent started a Facebook group creating private pods in place of the public schools. And so far in the last week has gotten over 10,000 requests to join. Um, And so this has become kind of a thing. According to the Guardian U.S., the rise of these Zooters, because a lot of them are employing the Zoom platform, uh, is actually starting to become a thing as these school districts uh, are looking at the fact they're not going to be open. Uh, I spoke to a spokesperson earlier today for the Los Angeles Unified School District, which is the United States' second largest school district after New York. The superintendent uh, of LA Unified said that without sufficient funding for COVID-19 testing and more importantly, contact tracing, uh, the more than 600,000 students that are currently enrolled over a thousand schools um, in the LAUSD, he's looking at an educational crisis, and he's not the only educator that's saying that. Um, also, to go along with the fact that these schools probably will not be reopening uh, are some mental health and crisis issues, particularly for our LGBTQI youth. Earlier in the week, I spoke with Dr. Mark Daly, who is California's Health and Human Services Secretary. Uh, Dr. Galley uh, assured me that his department is uh, moving assets uh, into place to assist the school districts across the state of California uh, in terms of assisting LGBTQI uh, youth who normally would have access to GSAs, uh, mentors, uh, allies, positive staff, and positive affirmation within the schools. Obviously, at home, many of them are now non-affirming uh, environments need that extra boost. 
Dr. Galley said that every effort is being made in conjunction with the state superintendent of instruction, uh, Thermont's office, in trying to push this forward. So uh, looking at it overall, that's just also kind of something that we need to take a look at across the United States in a lot of these school districts. And I think that it would uh, behoove our listenership to, uh, especially our parents, um, you know, with kids who may be uh, LGBTQI+, uh, to please take a look and see what uh, resources are out there that are available to you. Uh, there are some really fine LGBTQ plus nonprofits, organizations, and centers across the United States. Check with the one in your area uh, and, and take a look and see if maybe there can uh, be something done there. If you have further questions, I would implore you to reach out to Gleason, which is the umbrella organization for the school GSAs, uh, or reach out again to any equality uh, organization, nonprofits that may be operating in your state. Uh, see what they've got and see what programs uh, are available to them. Uh, the rate of death mortality rate uh, in the United States right now is starting to creep up. We do expect it to get worse, uh, and that essentially is it for me. Okay, yeah, and so I just want to echo that because there are probably kids who are listening to this podcast because they found it on their, their phones that, are home in an unsafe environment where your parents don't know um, that you're LGBTQ um, um, and you're listening to material that speaks to you and you found us, which that would be a very good thing. So um, definitely search out the websites that Brody just mentioned um, and search out those things on your own um, if you're in a safe in a place right now where coming out really isn't an option. Um, one other thing that you can do while uh, all of us can do while we're sheltering in place is take advantage of watching things and listening to wonderful music. And um, with that, I want to bring on speaking of wonderful music, um, our guest today, uh, Rachel Garland, Rachel, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob and Brody. Nice to, nice to be here. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so great to have you. You're, your voice is so beautiful, so incredible. I just have to tell you, I'm just like in, in awe. It, it's got, it's it's sweet, but has just that that warmth and mm, it's it just mm. truly, truly um, engaging and wonderful. So kudos, oh, kudos you. on just the the instrument itself. Um, <laughs> your new album. Uh, now this is your fifth album. Is that correct? I'm gonna say Fourth it's album? my sixth. It's actually there's there's some uh, there's some under underground albums that are currently out of circulation, <laughs> but it's my sixth uh, studio album, and uh, my first time working with producer Julie Wolf. So it's a sixth and a first. Well, it it is it's beautiful, and um, there's there's so much to unpack unpack there that that we want to talk about. But I want to take you back to the garage and that yeah. day that you opened your garage to serenade your neighborhood. What, what, uh, what was that about? How did you, you get inspired to do that? Well, I live in San Francisco on a pretty busy street. There's a streetcar called the J Church that rolls by about every 
eight minutes or so and plenty of foot traffic. And so over the years, I've at times rolled up my garage door and played music with, you know, musician friends or had band rehearsals kind of out in the open or jammed with my kids or my wife. And it's kind of just been a place where people know if the door is open, if the garage door is open, you know, come on by, stay a while, hang out. During COVID, everyone was uh, in, and then everyone started to, you know, come out a little bit to walk the dog or to head to the grocery store or to walk to work, people who were needing to get somewhere. And so it just happened organically that it made sense to kind of calendar it and make it a Wednesday night thing on our street. So I'd roll up the garage and people come around and we play music for about an hour and everyone has masks on and are pretty spread out. It works best when the traffic is low because then people are kind of in the street on the sidewalk and it's just a community non-gathering where people can hear live music and remember what it was like to go to shows. (laughs) Really? And, and um, you, you also, it's, uh, I read that, you actually make up lyrics to songs on the spot there, like somebody would be walking along and you, you like start singing a song about that person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, you know, just kind of improvisational style that I use a lot in my songwriting, even when I'm kind of alone, I, I riff on ideas and lyrics out loud and simultaneous with the music um so there's definitely like an impromptu thing that i do when i'm starting a song and so i've taken it just doing that uh on the sidewalk and you know it's a fun way to engage people to get to know people and bring a little humor you know to the street when folks are feeling stressed yeah no it's i i'm i'm in awe of that because i can i can improv in writing because I'm a writer and I'll, uh-huh. you know, I can start writing out stuff and um, I've done performing and I've obviously done uh, broadcasting and I definitely yeah. can wing it and broad and, and improv musical thought like that to do it musically. <laughs> that is, I'm <laughs> like going, I do not have that part of a brain to do that. <laughs> uh, let alone no, no voice to sing it, but, but just, well. so just your, <laughs> Your 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 ability to to uh, pull that together is is incredible. Um, so oh, your your latest album though is is called Mondegreen, and yeah. Mondegreen, if I understand it, which I do this all the time, <laughs> is when you hear a song and you hear the lyrics, but you mm-hmm. kind of mishear the lyrics, so you're singing them um, as you go. There was a there was an episode of Friends where Phoebe talks about um, Elton John and how great it was that he, he um, sang about the, um, the, the guy from taxi and they're going, what are you talking about? He goes, Oh yeah. You know, dance, dance, Tony Danza. You know, like, which I, I'm, I'm taking as a Mondegreen. <laughs> so what was the inspiration for, for this, for this body of work? I wrote these songs kind of, between the fall of 2016 and the election um, and the beginning of COVID. So the songs really come from a time when I felt the world was already in 
a kind of a crisis. Uh, a lot of people felt that way after the election. Right. And so, you know, there's there's some heartache in there, and it's personal heartache, but it's also heartache, you know, for our kids and our world and the struggles that we're facing. And so I think the songs have a tone, um, some of them, of of longing, you know, for change or for a different set of circumstances and kind of imagining possibilities beyond what we currently face. So releasing it during COVID was interesting because the songs were already coming from a place of, you know, concern about uncertain times. And then boom, um, we had COVID and we are um, also facing uh, the issues that our country has around white supremacy culture and um, bringing to consciousness uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And so I feel that, you know, it's a time when a lot of music that's coming out and being passed around is touching uh, those nerves of, of unrest and a desire for systemic change and, you know, just a reckoning and a need for, for reflection, you know, on a personal level, but also on a societal level. So there's definitely some timeliness to the release, even though it's tough to release a record during a lockdown. Yeah, no, absolutely. You have a song on, on the new album called Out There, and um, yeah. I, I see it kind of a two, twofold, and, and maybe I'm, I'm monograining this, but um, <laughs> I, I, I hear the song um, as much about coming out in one's gender sexual orientation as mm. kind of a it is also then a flip to what's going on now in terms of mm-hmm. you know physically hiding away and coming out into the world um mm-hmm. can you talk about that a little bit and and did i did sure. was my impression accurate yeah i think you got it um for sure there's a lot of readings of it but those are definitely two of them that were fundamental um i wrote the song on spec for a musical project that was um being written by pollen music group in wilkins avenue in paris and there was a call for a song about specifically about a girl who was forced to stay inside and um being cautioned by all of these adult voices to like stay inside and don't go out. And this was of course all before COVID. So it's a little bit ironic, but um, the idea that she, is that she was kind of physically trapped and also kind of emotionally and, and spiritually bottled up and, and um, discouraged from being herself. So I wrote the song not knowing if it would be placed in the musical and um, it turned out to be a good fit for them. So the song actually went on to, become the soundtrack of this new musical that premiered in Paris last year and had a life in that context. But when I put it on my album and and worked with producer Julie Wolf to bring it to life, um, it brought out a more personal story, you know, that a lot of us in the LGBTQI community have um, experienced around, you know, questioning or spending time wondering if it was okay to be our full self and in what context and then having the experience of stepping out, coming out, being 
ourselves and feeling the kind of relief of that and understanding that that's, you know, good for us and good for the world and good for our youth, you know, to, to live in that way. So um, I think it, it, it can exist in all those different contexts and, and be interpreted, you know, by folks uh, in whatever way um, resonates. Yeah, I know that's, that's so beautiful that, because I mean, that is, that's how music is. I mean, you listen to an album and on one day, the lyrics speak to you in one direction and inspire you and your thoughts. And then the next day you hear the same lyrics, but you're, you're in a different headspace, but they still speak to you about that situation. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's kind of what yeah, I mean, sort of, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to, no, I was just going to echo what you said. Like, you know, yeah. I was going to circle back to your, your comment about monogreens because that's kind of like, the idea is that, you know, we all are interpreting art in our own way. And and in the process of doing that, we're like creating our own meaning, our own art um, from what we hear and what we think we hear. And the idea of the album being called Mondegreens is also a nod to sort of the beautiful mistakes or the beautiful misinterpretations that we make throughout our life, like thinking, oh, I was singing the wrong lyric and then realizing, well, it wasn't really the wrong lyric. It was just my interpretation of the lyric or, you know, I took the wrong turn or I went the wrong way or I dated the wrong person or whatever. And getting to a point where you can go, you know what, that was all part of this particular, you know, this particular adventure called life. And I'm not going to categorize those things as wrong or bad. I'm just going to accept them as, you know, part of this journey. So, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I mean, what you were just talking about reminded me of a um, a a recording of Ella Fitzgerald doing um, "Mac the Knife," where she forgets the lyrics and she just Uh kind of goes on (laughs) with made-up lyrics, (laughs) and it's it's like now it's not like a classic recording of her her doing that. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. Also, the the song "Radio Silence." um, I think the the intention there is is a comment on all of us and and where we are in this this covid experience but i was i also took it from an artist's point of view where like what we're doing now about talking about your lyrics where you put lyrics out there you put a, a thought out there and there must be a frustration mm-hmm. of it not being heard enough or or mm. you know that that like like you put a song out there that is is talking about the the deep ills of society and having people mm-hmm. trivialize it or not not mm-hmm. um, not get it. Um, mm-hmm. Is there some feeling? I mean, you as as a prolific singer songwriter, that must happen. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that angle on that song, but I like that. It's definitely resonant. Um, in the sense that, yeah, I think the artistic process requires, like, letting go of control and, you know, certainly having your intentions, but realizing that um, uh, there's there are a lot of black boxes out there in terms of you put stuff out there and you may not hear back or you may not know where things land, um, and you just have to kind of accept that silence. And then... Uh, in the song, I think there's also a feeling of 
um, you know, how we, I don't know, how we choose to be vulnerable in different relationships or in different contexts, and, and sometimes our vulnerability is met with, with like, reciprocal vulnerability or comfort or reassurance, and sometimes it, it can be met also with silence or with, you know, an unexpected reaction, and um, that kind of applies across the board, you know, personally, professionally, right. and, and societally. Um, we're all vulnerable and, and, and looking for people in, that we can trust and, um, and systems that we can trust in order to, to, be, to be ourselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. That 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 sounds like the um sort of um reminiscent of your song Capture Me, uh which mm, is mm. which I took I took very romantically um hearing yeah. the song. Um you know, and some people might take it a little bit oppressively, I guess. Um mm-hmm. but that that sense of being captured and and understood and mm-hmm. um I just, I just, I, I thought it was super romantic. Mm, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for listening to all these songs. <laughs> I'm like, wow, <laughs> you really, you really listened to the album. This is cool. <laughs> um, it's great. So I appreciate, I really appreciate uh, this, that we're, we're getting to talk about lyrics. It's fun. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Capture me is romantic for me. Um, you know, the dance that long-term relationships do around, uh, you know, being uh, a place where, where people feel super safe and comfortable and like, and, you know, um, inside of a, of a bubble. And then the times when you need to, you know, go and, you know, go to work or go for a walk or um, go for a solo journey somewhere and discover a different part of yourself that you're ultimately going to bring back um, to the family, but that you have to kind of, do on your own. So, um, yeah, I'm happily married. I have a wonderful wife and three kids. And so, um, life is definitely a dance (laughs) and, uh, um, it's characterized by a lot of, you know, variety and and different ways that we can be together and apart. Um, while, you know, uh, trusting that we have a home together and knowing that we're all growing, um, to be both, um, you know, collectively driven and aware and also individuals. Um, I think it's an important message for kids, you know, that, uh, to hold on to yourself. Yeah, no, that, that, that's actually super profound. One of the Mm. things I love about your lyrics is they're very picturesque. I mean, it's, Mm. it's, um, you, you have a lot of images that if you just sit back, I mean, it's like your music is the type that, I love to sit back in a coffee shop and, you know, just listen and enjoy the coffee and just sort of mm. close my eyes and take it all in. And, um, mm. I mean, you talk about a treasure map and ca- capture me. And I think in mm-hmm. one of the songs you're talking about like a photo booth, like the one that mm-hmm. has photos. And, um, yeah. and I, as I understand it, you actually have one of those. Is that true? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I'm a I'm a weekend scavenger for like free items and forgotten furniture. So a couple summers ago, I saw a listing for a free photo booth, and the pictures on the listing were gorgeous. So it was like this lit up photo booth that was was photographed at all these special events and weddings, and um, 
it was gorgeous. And I responded to the posting. I said, oh, I'd love this photo booth. It's such a beautiful relic and a beautiful piece. And maybe it could even be used as an isolation booth for a home studio, home, home recording studio. <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah. She's like, you're welcome to come and get it. It's all in pieces. It's in the, in the garage basement area. So I borrowed a friend's truck. I went over there. I picked up all the planks and the, the different panels. And, you know, sure enough, it was this beautiful hand-painted wooden photo booth. I came home. I set it up in the garage. And um, it's kind of been a place where I can go to find, you know, darkness and quiet in a busy house. And it's a place where I can um, do some of my live stream broadcasts, like, you know, Midnight in the Photo Booth um, idea. It's a, it's a really cool artifact that you can tuck away in and then it has this kind of other significance of all the people who've been in there at all these events taking pictures and and trusting the camera and um tucking away together and so there's sort of some mystique to it i think um you know if these walls could talk type of idea and uh yeah it's my trusty companion for all all sorts of um musical activities and it's also a daytime clubhouse for my kids that's so awesome. I want one now. You do. <laughs> I, you I, do. I, want to, I want to find one. I want to find one. That is so cool. So, so Brody, do you have any questions? Kind of, I, I, I appear to be running over you a little bit here. <laughs> but I, and, and in full transparency, as our listenership knows, I'm kind of a political hack, uh, and you are definitely the artistic fan. Um, and I and actually, in full transparency, the last time I let you talk to a singer, you compared him to um, a piece of onion. vegetable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm never going to. I'm just not going to let that. I love that. I totally love that. And you know what I love about that, Brody, is that it reminds me of the justification for artists like myself uh, for making full albums. You know, at a time mm-hmm. when a lot of people are putting out singles and putting out single videos, which I think is super cool, we were really interested on Monogreens of making an album. And the idea is just like Brody said, it's like layers of an onion, you know, that you want each song to be kind of taking up its own little, you know, real estate on the album and not repeating what another song is wanting to say. And um, I totally related to that metaphor, so I thought that was great. Well, Louis yeah. seemed to get it too, so it was like, actually. Well, I um, loved it too. You know, I was, it just took me by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, well, let me ask you this, and, and of course, this is going to age me considerably. One of my um, favorite musicians and someone that I've been deeply honored to meet and have conversations with is Carlos Santana, uh, yeah. who, of course, Got his start in San Francisco. Um, out of San Francisco has come some incredible artistry. Uh, there has also been such a plethora of different types of music and genres coming in that city. Um, how much of an inspiration do you get from some of the greats who spent some time in the Bay Area? Uh, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Grace mm-hmm. Black, mm-hmm. Tina Turner, uh, the late great Janis Joplin, Brenda Lee, mm-hmm. and of course the legendary Cass Elliot. I mean, all mm-hmm. of those folks, you know, the Monterey festivals, the, you know, it, the old theater there, the Cow Palace, you know, and a lot of the, just the beat of, of the heart of San Francisco. How much of that inspires you? Actually, I want to, oh, before so you answer that, I want to jump in yeah. on, on that because there's one other name I would like to add to that list. 
um, because she's one of my absolute favorites. And she's somebody that you kind of dedicate one of your songs on your album to, and that's Judy Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that, that list of, of local locals and locals from afar. Um, I love it. I love the history of, of music in San Francisco, and I grew up going to a lot of outdoor concerts with my parents. We would go to the Greek Theater in Berkeley. We would go to Stern Grove, um, and we'd go to Golden Gate Park. And we would see groups like the Weavers, Seeger, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. And um, when I got a little older, I would go on my own and see Tracy Chapman, who's local. And um, it's definitely it was a huge influence on me, just knowing that uh, live music and acoustic music was um, was happening in all these spaces. Um, and... I've learned a lot, you know, from those influences. Um, and uh, the studio where we recorded Mondegreens is called Fantasy Studios, and it's in Berkeley. You guys might have heard of it because it is well-known not only for producing a lot of soundtracks like um, Amadeus and uh, The English Patient, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, but a lot of great albums, um, Creedence Clearwater Revival did their albums there, Tracy Chapman, Green Day. So I was very aware of music, both live and recorded, in my um, in my you know neighborhood writ large, and just appreciative to be uh, you know that I grew up in a place that was so brimming with that kind of culture. Um, and I'm pretty committed to helping that continue. You know, our venues are so vulnerable right now and the the hometown venues that I've been playing at for years are struggling to make ends meet and it's um you know it's unknown how we're going to continue uh but I trust that particularly in a place like the Bay Area there will be some creative solutions to keep the the, the musical history um alive very cool if you don't mind a follow-up then you know, looking at the tremendous amount of incredible music, um, you know, I, I just hearken back to my days of listening to the Grateful Dead and Starship, but then it was called, you know, the Airplane and some of the other things mm. that have happened. Um, you know, Joni Mitchell and uh, Baez being two of my personal favorites. When you mm. look at that, how much of that influences you with the rhythm of the city? Because obviously San Francisco uh, and I lived there in in, in late seventies for a year. Um, it, it has its own rhythm. The city literally has its own rhythm. How much of that, you know, do you see in the way that you, you know, put through your songwriting and your lyrics and your musics? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it's in there. I mean, I'm very dedicated to the local scene and, um, before COVID, I used to make a point of riding the the J Church Muni car every week and engaging with fellow passengers and travelers and, and doing do, doing some of that spontaneous songwriting that, that that Rob and I were talking about earlier. And uh, you know, the rhythm of the train, the rhythm of the people getting on and off the train, and just um, the spark of the city was like a huge part of those songs that I would write every week. I mean, literally, it wasn't just a spark; it was it was their stories that I was trying to, um, you know, communicate musically in some way. Um, and then, yeah, to your point, I think San Francisco does have a unique 
just vibe to it. It, it starts with the, the hills, you know, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the elevation and the sea level and, and just the topography of the city. Um, I have a song on my, on Mondo Green's called Earthquake Town, which is a direct right. kind of lo- love letter to the city in terms of all of its hills and bumps and contradictions and different factions. And um, I, like I said, just feel grateful that I'm um, certainly not uh, recreating the wheel on any level. I'm, I'm constantly, I think, referring back to the musicians and, and you know, also specifically LGBTQI musicians uh whose shoulders, you know, we're standing on here, um, recognizing that Berkeley and San Francisco were places where um, out songwriters could perform, um, you know, before it was, before it was accepted everywhere. And so there's a particular history around, um, around that, that is also a big influence on my music. Cool. Yeah, I, I love that Earth, Earthquake City is is um, a mm-hmm. cool ode to San Francisco on the mm-hmm. album. That is, 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 mm-hmm. is, is, is real. Is, I would say it's one of my favorites, but I love so many of them. It's, it's like, it, <laughs> it, it, but it's up there. It's up there with all of them. Um, the <laughs> um, the song "Cheers to You" though you do um, uh, spell that one out as being to Judy Collins. What what was mm-hmm. the story behind that? I found myself in a songwriting salon with Judy Collins and she spent a lot of time sharing uh, stories from her memoir and her memoirs. She's written several um, and kind of invited the group of us songwriters to muse on this idea of um, moments in our lives where things change or, you know, there's like a point of inflection and she shared that for her, it had to do with recovery um, from addiction, and she said that it was something that's affected her and her, and her her child, and she was very open and vulnerable and inviting for us to empathize with that and to muse on it. And so, um, I wrote that song right after the experience with her, and was thinking about what she told us about her life, um, and was you know, resonating with the idea that we all come to terms with things and that are hard. And I believe that that kind of, that kind of struggle and that kind of pain is what leads to, um, to growth and and to change personally and societally. So I think I'm drawn to stories where people are sharing what's been hard and, um, you know, reckoning. So that's a song of reckoning. Yeah, it, Cheers to you. Yeah, it's 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 pretty profound, and um, I, mm. I just thought that that was so cool. <laughs> Which mm, leads us to the um, kind of the featured song or a featured song on the album mm-hmm. is a cover of uh, Don mm-hmm. Henley's uh, "Boys of Summer." Um, why mm-hmm. why have all the songs out there in the world was this the single cover song that you chose? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's the there's the story of actually how we came up with the idea, which is a simple story of my friend Kate Eisenberg shopping at Trader Joe's, hearing the song, and just having the idea that it would be cool to cover it. And then there's the, the deeper considerations we went through, uh, which involved, you know, hearing it as 
a summer anthem that has kind of a traditional storyline around like boy meets girl romance and, and longing for summer, but it also kind of has a sub text that can be read in other ways or interpreted other ways. And so in the spirit of Mondegreens, um, we didn't sing our interpreted lyrics of the song. We sang Don Henley's lyrics and Mike Campbell's lyrics, but we reimagined the arrangement so that it's, you know, it's three female voices, three female musicians. Um, I don't sing the lead. Kate Eisenberg sings the lead. I sing the harmony. Julie Wolf plays the baritone guitar and sings. And the different arrangement just really made us feel excited about um, about performing it and recording it and seeing what happens. I mean, it's, it's a big risk when you when you perform or record a well-known and well-loved by many um, cover song. Um, the song itself kind of hints, has hints of sort of danger and risk-taking, and um, and so it all seemed to be sort of playing in the same key for us to record this kind of risky cover um, and to present it in a way that some people might love, some people might hate, um, but to do it... Uh, with a sense of conviction that, you know, it was something that we could offer, you know, a different interpretation that we could offer authentically. Wonderful. Wonderful. And shall we hear it now? The, we have yeah, it sure. and here it is. Here is Boys of Summer. I knew what love was, what did I know? 
sense that um, she's a really deep, you know, a, a musician with just so much depth that I admire and so much versatility. And I love her musical sensibilities and the musicians that she brought in. So the whole thing was just, was really seeped in her, um, her kind of musical uh, influence. And that was a first for me. Um, like I said, she's been in the studio with me, but I haven't had her like, you know, at the helm and, and, and this one she really was. And she has a particular way of just stirring up a kind of alchemy, I think with her musician friends and, and colleagues. And so the studio experiences were really great. Todd Sikafus um, was playing the bass um, and James DePredo was playing all kinds of stringed instruments and Vicki Randall was singing backup vocals and Kate Eisenberg was singing and playing. Allie Miller, uh, the, the drummer percussionist uh, in Brooklyn, flew out and did some tracks with us. So I think the combination of people was really special. And, you know, the, the through line with all my albums is that I love, I love lyrics and I love storytelling. So I think that part is, you know, a continuum that's pretty consistent. But the production team and the particular um, side players who came, uh, that was a unique experience for me. Um, you know, the other thing about this album is that when I was writing it and recording it, I was also uh, working at a, a record label called Upstar Records, um, which is a youth-run label that is um, a part of Sunset Youth Services, which is a youth agency in San Francisco that helps support healthy relationships with youth who've been in the system. So at the same time that I was recording my album, I was also helping youth songwriters uh, finish their songs and record their songs in a different studio. And I don't know, there was just something about um, having a hand in both of those projects at the same time that really made the album feel unique to me in the sense that um, I was, you know, I, I kind of was understanding both sides on at, at the youth agency, I was more of a producer. And in my own record, I was much more of the artist. And so I think it just gave me a different perspective and appreciation for the work that producers do um, because I had a little bit of experience uh, playing that role in a different context. No, it's, uh, yeah, the, I, I can feel that because of the, the layers and the texture of the music. I mean, you, you, you you don't know the story behind it, but you you feel that when when you hear it, mm -hmm. it's, it's really mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, good. Sort of stepping out from the music a little bit, yeah. because you do so much of your messaging and your heart and soul through mm -hmm. that communication. Um, what is what is the bottom line message you would want to give out to the world right now in our COVID Trump oppressed state? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think interdependence, you know, we, um, we're all dependent on each other and we are under pressure, I think, to stay isolated and to stay separated. And um, I think that the more we can collaborate and realize that everyone has something to offer and the more that we can exchange with each other, um, the better. Um, I think we need to understand that music and art can be uh, a way that we use our imaginations as we're thinking about creative problem solving that's going to be necessary. Um, so I like to think of 
music, both, you know, when you listen to music and when you, when you make music, you're, you're allowing your imagination to have, you know, to take up space. And um, I see the world as having a lot of problems right now, including systemic racism. And I think that our solutions to that are going to have to be creative and imaginative because we're, we're in pretty deep with a history that doesn't work uh, for anyone. And so um, I'm an optimist and I, and I, and I believe in the arts um, as a, as a, a, a source of, um, you know, inspiration for change. And so I would encourage young artists to speak their truth and to tap into their own inspired um, ideas and to share and exchange and recognize the interdependence that's hopefully going to um, help us become a more healthy society across the board. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's beautiful. Almost like a song. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rachel, <Thank> you. <laughs> Rachel, how can people get your music? How can they get the album? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, it's available out there on um, all the digital platforms, Spotify and um, Apple Music and everything. And then I also have a website, which is my name, Rachel Garland. That's Garland with an N, um, dot com. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook and I'm happy to correspond with people who are uh, interested in the music or the songs. Um, I find that uh, it's a really, you know, important way to stay connected to fans and followers is, is to communicate. So I've been known to write a letter or two in my time as well as receiving some. So um, I believe in that exchange and that interdependence, you know, in, in every environment. So bring it on. And um, I, I realize COVID has put a damper on, on live performing, but um, once COVID, COVID is gone, knock on wood, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, will you be touring? Will you be playing some venues? Yeah, definitely. I'll get back out and be the the kind of weekend warrior that I was before COVID, um, doing some out and backs to different regions and playing locally and then flying around the country to also lead songwriting workshops. Um, I was supposed to teach at the Kerrville Folk Festival this uh, this early summer, but that didn't happen. And I might be flying to Michigan in the fall to lead a songwriting workshop there, but who knows if that'll be virtual or not, probably virtual. Um, so yeah, my website lists my whereabouts and, uh, my live streams and that kind of thing. And I welcome new, new listeners to, um, to swing by, so to speak. Wonderful. Brody, do you have any final questions? No, I, actually, I'm perfectly content to stay in my lane and not not get accused of calling people vegetables. I did want to reach no, out. No, you got uh, high mark. You got high mark. You've been vindicated. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I, you guys have a great I, show. I, I appreciate it. I thank you very much, uh, Rob, and I both appreciate that very much to our listeners. Um, I, I think it's critically important that if you know LGBTQI youth, especially uh, young women, young trans women uh, of color in particular that are thinking about music or are already deeply involved uh, in music, um, you know, this is a perfect uh, way uh, for you to see that everybody can fit and, and that you know, this is a critically important area, and I'm so glad that you're in that space and that you're continuing to empower others. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Yep. I share yeah, those and thoughts. Rachel, so we're, we're, 
we're down to our final three minutes. Um, what have we not asked you that we should have? Oh, um, that's funny. I was going to share that I have a, um, a couple new music videos coming out, and they also have a, a YouTube channel. And one of the things you might find in the underground files of Rachel Garland is a, a video I put out last year uh, during Pride Month called Targay. And I just found out that it was accepted into the Queer Bee uh, Music Festival, um, which is going to be probably happening online soon. But you can also just check out the video on my YouTube channel where I also have videos from the Monogreens album. And um, uh, like I said, I invite people to swing by. Excellent. No, fantastic. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. But thank you more importantly for your immense talent and all oh. that you're, you're putting out. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. People need to pick mm. up the stuff, watch the videos, listen to the music, play mm. the music. Um, I mm. mean, it's, you know, we, we can't go out to coffee shops right now, but um, <laughs> I would put on the music, fix yourself a nice yeah. big cup of coffee, sit back, fluff your big pillows, and put your feet up, <laughs> you know, cuddle with your puppy dogs, you know, or kitty cat, <laughs> and um, just listen and take it in, close your eyes and, let your imagination Aww. go with where Rachel takes you. That that would be Aww. my advice for for somebody's um, COVID Sunday afternoon. So. Oh, that's a so. really nice wrap. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> I love Our it. Pleasure. Well, good luck to you guys yeah. with the show and all your endeavors. You're wonderful, and I really appreciate being um, being on your show today. Well, we we appreciate you being here, and I want to appreciate our listeners for tuning in. We we do appreciate you most of all. Um, and, of course, our podcast can be found on iTunes or on any device that has the podcast app. Please encourage your friends to do a search for Rated LGBT Radio and subscribe. We appreciate it. And um, we're open both to your feedback and um, your listenership and very much so. Um, we will be back here again next week uh, with another fabulous show we promise and um with that for Brody and myself i want to say have a great week and we will talk to you then you've been listening to rated lgbt radio <laughs>